Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new season of Law and Candor. I'm Paige Hunt, and I am here with my co-host, Bill Mariano. Hey, Bill. Hey, Paige. How you doing? This is season 12, if I'm not mistaken. What, is, what, do you, what do you get? What do you, don't you supposed to give a gift? What, what is, every anniversary is different. What do you give for season 12? Is it like wood or something terrible or is it diamonds? What do we, I, I'll have to look that up and come back to it. Is it, I know one anniversary is wood, which is ridiculous. I mean, if someone gave me wood, I'd get a divorce. S- some advice, always go with diamonds. Like don't even worry about the other things. So that's yeah, you, my life you'd be, lesson you'd be, for you. You'd be offended if I gave you wood? <laughs> Not necessarily me, but you know what I mean here. <laughs> well, we have lots to talk about this season. We've got Lots of developments on the generative AI front, big news in M&A, lots of shifts in the economy. So I'm looking forward to these conversations. Bill, what about you? What have you been watching? What new ideas are coming up? Do you have on your mind? Well, first, I'd like to say that I just consulted my Gen AI app on my phone, and apparently it's silk or linen for 12th anniversary. So that's A. So a little bit better than wood, which is, I think, was your fifth anniversary is is wood. So I'll just skip fifth anniversary, go right to 12. Um, yeah, I mean, Gen AI, right? I mean, since we recorded last, our last season, I, it, it's in every conversation, not only at work, but what's happening at home. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where this technology goes. We have some interesting uh, interesting pods this this season that, that talk about it and everything. I mean, it's, it is everywhere from, you know, working at home on your shopping list to how to find responsive documents. It is credible and, and it's evolving every every time I look up. It's, there's another use case for it. It's really cool. And I'm glad we're at the forefront of it, discussing it on the pod with some of the, you know, some of the really best guess that we could have on the subject. It's going to be great. Well, for this first episode, we are fortunate enough to have two guests with us. Uh, this is going to be Michael Bonner, Managing Discovery Attorney at Cleary, and Justin Van Alstein is back, Head of eDiscovery and Information Governance at T-Mobile. We're going to be talking about the relationship between law firms, corporate counsel, and technology providers. As data and cases become more complex and as technology advances, the conversation about how to rely on each other's strengths is really illuminating. Before we jump into that conversation, it's time for Sightings of Radical Brilliance. This is the part of every show where we bring to you the latest newsworthy innovation and acts of sheer genius. Our sighting today is from an article in Wired. Meet Alpha Alpha. I can't say that, you guys. Meet Aleph Alpha. Aleph Alpha. Listen, Sorry. here's what I can say about Aleph Alpha. Alpha. It's not going to win over open over Gen AI and Open Open AI because of the name. No one's going to be able to pronounce this thing. People are just going to go with Open AI because it's easier to pronounce. So you don't you're not you don't find yourself alone here. The only the only the only advantage they have is Europe wants their own version of it, and that's what this is, right? I totally agree. So, Bill, I was going to ask you your thoughts, and I think you're on a roll. So, yeah, Aleph I, Alpha. <laughs> let's just back it up for a second. The Wired article: Meet Aleph Alpha, Europe's answer to AI. Bill. Yeah, I mean, so so Europe wants their own open AI, and 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 the um, the blocks politicians are sick of regulating American tech giants from afar, and that that's that's uh, I mean, there's a different there's a different um, uh, a, a different uh, uh, regulatory agency in, in Europe popping up every day with with a complaint about all of our tech companies, and so it makes sense that they want their own. Um, so this was it, it sells Gen AI as a service to companies and governments, and, and already has thousands of paying customers. And I think it's you know it, the, from the term a tech perspective, from what it, from what we've read in the, in this article, uh, it's right there. I mean, I think all of these companies are are all going to be within 
shouting distance of each other because the technology is they're building off each other's tech every single day. Um, I, I think it will be it's it's an interesting take that they want their own um, again, name, naming naming aside. Uh, uh, I, I think it's it'll be interesting to see if uh, Europeans go to the best technology on the market or the local technology. That, that'll be that'll be very interesting to see which which way it goes. Yeah. And I can imagine it would take a lot to come back and, and meet Google and others where they are now, much less surpass them. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, open AI before open. I mean, if you would have told me five years ago or three years ago that um, some other company that we hadn't heard of would be leading uh, uh, in, in Gen AI uh, development and productivity, I would have said it's got to be either Google, Apple, Microsoft, maybe Facebook. Um, but we who who heard of open AI five years ago? I mean, not me. So I, I, it's interesting. I think I think these companies are they're all going to explode. Uh, and, and it's it, it's a it's an interesting article because it talks about Europe's um, sort of favoring this one because they want one of their own. So up next, we have one of my favorite podcasts we've ever recorded. It's actually uh, we we dig into the power of a trio, and we do this with Michael and Justin, as Paige mentioned, uh, from from Cleary Gottlieb and T-Mobile, and we talk about that three-legged stool that really is I, ideally is what you have in place when you launch into a project and having you know relying on each other to get this to get us all pulling in one direction. It's a fantastic episode. I think you, we think you'll you'll love it. So we have a straight up party here with multiple guests today. Mike, welcome to the pod. And Justin, welcome back to the pod. Thanks very much, Bill. I'm uh, excited to be here. Yeah, same on my end. Excited to be back. Well, we're glad to have both of you back here. Uh, Today, we want to talk about what is often an underutilized partnership between law firms, corporate counsels, and technology providers. So to start, we'd like to understand how you've seen the dynamics between these three organizations, these three stakeholders really evolve throughout your careers. Mike, let's start with you. What have you seen from a law firm perspective with your work and your role now? Thanks very much, Paige. Uh, I'll just preface this by noting that uh, all the opinions and thoughts I'm going to express here are my own and don't represent the positions of my firm or my clients. Uh, I've spent the majority of my legal career in e-discovery in the information governance space. Uh, I've worked with dozens of e-discovery tech partners and countless clients over the years. I think the short story is that the most successful matters have always come when there's a partnership between the client, the e-discovery tech partner, and the law firm. Uh, Forging those bonds can sometimes be difficult, especially under intense pressure that comes with a high-profile project. But honestly, uh, open understanding, honesty, and instilling a sense of shared purpose all really go a long way in creating the teamwork that's necessary to accomplish a common goal. Uh, Always treating everyone on the team, no matter their role or organization, with respect and professionalism, even in the face of adversity and intense pressure, uh, makes the outcomes better, the burdens more fairly distributed, and may even make you some lifelong friends. Uh, In my work, uh, I've seen somewhat of a cyclical process. Uh, My earliest recollections in the space are of tighter bonds between the law firm and the tech partners, uh, both working together to get a project completed with little client input on the process. Uh, That later evolved as clients became more sophisticated and knowledgeable about e-discovery and information governance. 
the shift in the paradigm really did take some getting used to at first. Um, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to lead and <laughs> from the front here. Um, but as clients uh, began to have more input and thoughts on how an e-discovery project was run, um, I really embraced the idea of how valuable and knowledgeable an active client can be. Uh, later, with the rise of direct tech partner client engagement, some of the decision-making on which tech partner tools to engage for a particular project were kind of out of the law firm's hands, or at least we had less input. Um, there was some very minor sense of loss for me uh, for, <laughs> for a little while, uh, but the advantages of a client having a suite of reliable consistent part tech partners made far too much sense to ignore. Um, as those relationships developed and clients built thoughtful, dynamic, and robust e-discovery and information governance uh, operations like T-Mobile has, the law firm took on a new role as a true partner amongst a group of I like to think intelligent and hardworking professionals and getting the best outcomes for the client, as opposed to the law firm being the main driver of most decisions. Again, it took me a minute or two to get used to. I'm pretty decisive and smart when left to my own devices. It's for a lawyer. Uh, but the benefits of having other smart, knowledgeable folks to collaborate with, bounce ideas off of, build a consensus on the best path forward, it really outweighed any sense of ego. That, and it really has become just a huge blessing. And now when I don't have that type of partnership, for whatever reason, there's kind of a profound sense of loss that something important and deeply appreciated is missing. I love that. It's a good check and balance for sure. Well, Justin, you've worked at a law firm and you know now you're at T-Mobile. How have those experiences influenced your perspective on this? Uh, I guess I guess I'll, I'll repeat uh, Mike's standard disclaimer here that, about, you know, about how smart he is. Oh, it's a disclaimer. Right, Sorry, that's right. <laughs> I'm gonna, right. I'm going to make sure that I acknowledge the intelligence of Mr. Bonner before we get going here. Um, no, uh, just uh, that these these opinions are my own and, and forged through uh, many mistakes that I've made throughout my career and learning from them. Um, so yeah, no, I, there's a lot to unpack there with what Mike said. I think like the most important thing he's talking about with that partnership is really that you have under understanding and cooperation at all three levels, because there are pieces that each one brings uniquely that the others don't necessarily um, don't have access to. Right. Uh, you know, at least on on my side, right on the in-house side, I think one of the key things that I bring to the table is that I have a deep, deep knowledge of our very idiosyncratic way of doing and every business is like that. There's no, there's no two clients for any law firm that are going to run things the same way. Because once you get down to a granular level, it's individuals making these decisions and people make decisions for all sorts of crazy reasons, right? And knowing that and being able to say, okay, you know, here's, here's what industry standard is, but here's how we do it at T-Mobile, right? And where this stuff is, what the pitfalls are, those things are pretty unique to me. And then on Mike's side, really, where that value is, usually as any in-house head of e-discovery, you know, or just running the e-discovery function, you're usually not going, to, or well, some people do, but it's more common, especially these days, that you need to, you, you've got more work than you are ever going to be able to do as the in-house counsel. So you have to be able to have a very good trusting relationship with that outside counsel council e-discovery team because they have to know what I want and the way I want things done and then be able to execute on that on a daily basis when I can't always be, you know, uh, like looking and, 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 and investigating every little thing. And then of course, like vendor side, 
that's you know that alignment to me is the most important that one is non-negotiable right sometimes i get i'm not always as lucky that i get a mike bonner on all my cases that that is that doesn't always happen too so i have to deal with it but the but the vendor side right and that's where being aligned with your vendor having them know your processes and procedures then i sort of rely on that pm uh, you know that uh, on the vendor side a little bit more but yeah yeah, so I mean, the, the truth is, everyone who works in e-discovery works as part of a triad with a corporation, a law firm, and a vendor. But it's not always a partnership, right? So, and that's what I think we're talking about today as being the biggest difference. So, when you're when you're talking about, and, and Justin, I'll, I'll direct this to you first. When you're talking about it as a true partnership, how do you assess um, the strengths of each? Because there's going to be overlapping strengths. So, I mean, the, the ultimate uh, decision-making process, at least for me, rests with me making sure that our processes and procedures are being followed, right? Because that's what I want is consistency across matters. So that it's making sure that on every matter, they're doing it the team of voice. So that, again, I, I'm just of the belief that generally speaking, that that just increases your defensibility and your ability to say, hey, this is how we always do things. There isn't like, you know, we're not just randomly making decisions. But like how that works in any case, I think it, it depends on the case right uh like you know when when we're when you know uh t-mobile was going through the merger of sprint we were going through our you know our, our second request right obviously there's a lot more that you have to delegate in that situation because of the sheer volume of data that you're dealing with mike i can't remember what the date the amount of data was but it was multiple terabytes of information and so at that point you know you need somebody who's going to help you one not just you know you know, there, there are things you can think you can think about it on a very basic level, like, you know, how do we chunk through this level, this amount of documents? And what you want there is a genuine partner who is like able to think strategically and help you have a plan for like how you're going to attack and try to eat this elephant. Right. And usually that's a combination, right? The technology, it's a combination of technology, people, strategy, all those things come together. And then and then another way, and this is just like for me, one of the biggest things that Mike provides is he provides a trusted partner on the law firm side to the law firm's partners. Right. The people who are running the case, they trust Mike Bonner. They don't necessarily know Justin Van Alstyne from Adam. Right. So a lot of times if you don't have that person translating for them, they get into meetings with me and or the PM team and we're explaining things to them and they don't have anyone who can translate that into advocacy. Right. Which is a which is a huge skill that's really it, it's not one that's one of the most advertised ones in e-discovery, but that's a huge piece of it. Right. What about you, Mike? What do you think about like, in terms of the Venn diagram? What, how do you assess the strengths and when to defer and or take the lead on, on when you're when you're in a true partnership like this? Uh, that's a great question. I like to echo first a lot of Justin's points there and, and not to keep the uh, the smoke blowing circle going too hard here. <laughs> but we, we certainly feel that same level of partnership with uh, you folks at T-Mobile and certainly with the folks at Lighthouse. You know, it, it I'm going to apologize a little bit in advance for this, uh, but it, it, it kind of depends. Right. I mean, it, it really boils down to gauging what expertise exists and with whom it lies early on, right? We know each other. We've all worked with each other on a lot of critical projects over the years. So that's a, that's an ideal relationship. It's not always there, though. From the law firm, firm perspective, again, having long-term clients and knowing the tech partners well is ideal. If you don't have that, um, I always like to drill down to the level of expertise. Uh, if, if you can get a meeting early on uh, with the clients, ID Discovery Council, if they exist, if they're available, client legal, client IT, the chosen tech partner, any other stakeholders like the client record management team. Um, you need to assess systems. You need to assess sources. You need to assess expertise.
expertise in extraction, preservation, transfer. You got to understand what processes and experience exist on the client uh, with the client side data, both at the client and at the at the tech partner side. From the law firm side, you need to push to do robust IT and custodian interviews. You've got to be able to sit down and talk to the people that know the data and have, uh, especially with ones that have less experience with e-discovery projects. You got to manage expectations, as Justin was saying, internally and externally. Sometimes the internal advocacy points are the more difficult ones. Um, you've got to get people at the law firm to understand the, the challenges they're facing. You've got to get folks uh, on the client side potentially to understand the challenges that they're, they're facing. Taking that extra day, two, three, even to understand sources, expertise, come up with a solid work plan, given the needs, actually talk to people that are doing the work at, on both the client and tech partner side, making sure you're getting what you need, format you need it in. It can save you time and headaches down the road. So really being thoughtful up front. And then make sure you're, and this is an early way where you can establish trust, make sure you're double checking each other's metrics and calculations, right? I mean, and, and without recrimination, without judgment. And when you're looking at the law firm, speak with the discovery attorneys. I mean, I, I always find it uh, beneficial if, if there's a firm that's got a strong discovery group outside of the traditional kind of associate uh, senior attorney partner track, and then make sure that, uh, you know, uh, the, the law firm's sharing the responsibility for a good outcome, right? All too often, you have situations where things can devolve into a recrimination game. We want to avoid that. There always should be shared responsibility and ownership for all aspects of the process, and the law firm should collaborate, understand, and support the tech partner in addition to the client. Make sure everyone is kept apprised of everything. Deadlines, shifts in focus, timing, all that jazz. I think the two points that Mike makes that I think are the most important there are one, making sure you're talking to people because if you're not, if you're just sending emails, a lot of times you don't get the real story on a number of things. You have to actually dig in and be able to get down to that level. And then two, right, the without recriminations part, because, um, you know, I've noticed this, it's like, so I'm coaching my like 11 year old uh, football team this fall. And that's like one of the biggest things is that once you real you try to get them to realize that we are going for a team result here. Like there's going to be no prize for, you know, made like the best block if we lose 32 to nothing or something. You've got to understand that you function as a unit. Right. And so you're going to succeed or fail as a unit, whether you accept that or not. So it's one of those. It's better if you have a relationship where. All we're focused on is getting to the right place. That's like gospel. If we could just have that start, like that speech uh, at the beginning of every new engagement as we train folks that maybe don't have the same level of expertise, that would just make our team's lives so much easier. So love everything you guys said there. So when a matter's underway, though, what are some of the ways that you can evaluate responsibilities and workloads to ensure that there's balance and efficiency and that you're making the best use of everyone's expertise? Michael, I'll start with you again. That's a, another great question. Uh, there's obviously a lot of different aspects to a project, especially large and complex ones. I think the most important piece of all this is to, again, establish a shared sense of purpose and a sense of shared ownership. And no one person or organization is going to be able to do everything and avoiding the pitfall of blame. And again, recrimination is paramount. Uh, more specifically, even though um, things are going to change as a project kind of runs and evolves, um, a few tips, rules of thumb that I've always found 
helpful helpful or you know from the law firm project leadership side make sure you're delegating and trusting but verifying the repeatable processes like pulling metrics conducting qc of review technical processes right yeah be upfront about what what you're looking at let everyone know that you're 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 going to be double checking those things and once you you have that trust established uh you can kind of hand off pieces of that to to other members of the team make sure your tech you've given your tech partner enough purchase to trust to bring process problems workflow inefficiencies or any other issues to the table i mean it's something that should be so simple that that i think you know tech partners vendors have gotten beaten up over the years so much that they're they're almost afraid to bring even good ideas to the table so um even with people you've worked with in the past, you've got to kind of reinforce that idea early on in a project. Um, and then make sure the client's kept fully informed, right? Ch- any challenges, changes, in initial plans. I mean, there's nothing worse than making a necessary shifted process to like correct something that's not going right or to move faster. And that requires some compromise than not having a, all parties, especially the client, informed about why something was done. That's That's a terrible outcome and is, is you know, deservative of fury on the client end. And then I think tech partners, uh, you, we've got to understand that they're best positioned to keep track of metrics, track and prepare things like processing reports, gap analyses, review related statistics, and just kind of Again, make sure uh, that that you're you're double checking all that stuff, but like let that work go to to someone who's got the time and capacity and can do it cheaper than a law firm. Uh, and then make sure you're deploying the right tools. You know, not every case uh, requires the latest and greatest tech, right? I mean, I've I've got a lot of my stuff are uh, kind of midsize litigations, twenty thirty thousand docs. Let's just review it, get it done, right? I don't need to build a huge, expensive, time consuming model on that. And then if you need to shift, right, um, understand the limitations, cost benefits, all that jazz, make sure you're talking to all parties and make sure you're asking questions. And as Justin said, keeping that dialogue open, it's just all too often, just people get lost in either too much work or or they think things are running fine, but just check in and be proactive about checking in. And then lastly, you know, just uh, as you're evaluating things, especially early on in the project and making adjustments, Make sure you're giving feedback to all stakeholders in a timely fashion and everyone's identifying deficiencies, no matter where it is. If it's if it's my deficiency, if it's on the tech side, if, if we're missing pieces from, from the client, whatever it is, just make sure everyone's on the same page. I mean, the good news for Mike is that he never has to follow up with me about anything. So about that base is completely covered. He never has any outstanding items, but maybe he sends me five or six times in, in an increasingly nice tone every time. So I think, I think, I think that's what Mike, what Mike is talking about right here. This is team building 101, right? If you are on a team with somebody and they don't trust you, that's the best way to get a bad result where someone in, in, and again, this is why I focus on it as like, you know, as the sort of the e-discovery lead here is that like my PMs, I want them to tell me if something is unusual because I don't have the time to look at every single email for every single case. That's just reality. So I have to, and that's the key with team building, right? If you're going to rely on people, you've got to make them uh, capable of exercising judgment, right? Being able to say what, what is actually important that Justin needs to look at today, right? Versus what's something that's an easy decision that we can just make like in a second and it's not really going to have a material impact on the case. But to get people to that point, you can't be screaming at them and berating them. 
Um, at least in my opinion, I'm, some other people might be more subscribed to like the Bob Knight school. of. of <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's very, when people feel scared, fear is probably the number one thing that reduces performance. And number two is lack of trust. And they're very related. So I think everything that Mike said there was, was very good. Such an Indiana, such an Indiana. That's right. So let's, let's talk about, you know, uh, in addition to, to building an e-discovery engagement model to meet, to mimic a peewee football team and not necessarily Bobby Knight's version of, uh, of, of basketball. <laughs> yeah. In addition to that, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, in terms of technology solutions, again, back to the Venn diagram. So how, how do you work with outside counsel and, and your provider to ensure you, you're, you're architecting the best solution? So the, the things I'm assessing, right, when I'm doing that, one, the overall risk amount in the case. That's the number one thing. I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to build a huge model or review, you know, 500,000 documents for a case that's worth 100 grand. That's simple, that math doesn't work. And you have to be honest with your case team about that. Like, look, guys, if this is what we, if these are our discovery obligations, we should just settle this unless there's a, a huge strategic importance to what we're doing that's non-monetary. Right. So number one, the risk value Two, you get a feel after a while for where like AI, machine learning, continuous active learning, those things seem to work. The threshold for me, and this is, you know, I don't know if this is giving away the game, but I don't really like to do it unless it's above 100,000 documents in a set right around there. I can go a little more. I can go a little less. I could be like if Mike came to me and presented me with a really good use case, I would definitely reconsider that position. But that's generally what I have in my mind. And then, you know, finally, it's, you know, uh, when you're thinking about that, it's like, what resources do I have available? Right? What's what's my budget? What can I what, where does outside counsel spend go? Because that's people who aren't like in-house attorneys might not realize that, you know, like which bucket a, a spend comes from sometimes is a very significant thing, right? So sometimes you might shift it around in ways that, you know, don't really make much of a practical difference, but make a big difference to, you know, the people above me, right? So that's, I think those three things. And really, at the end of the day, it does come down mostly to risk. Um, because it's, you know, if, if we've got, you know, we it's going to be a defensible process no matter what we're choosing to do. But the, the sophistication of outside counsel, Right. So like I'm much less likely to try to use ML, AI, something like that with an outside counsel who is it because this goes back to the advocacy piece, isn't good at advocating for this stuff because and that's something a lot of technologists, especially in e-discovery, ignore because they're like, oh, you should always do the most technologically advanced process. Like, yeah, you could save. But if I'm spending, you know, like 30 grand on a on a on a motion to compel defense from the other side that we then get in this big, huge discovery dispute where the judge gets involved or at least the magistrate, right? Is that really worth it? And I think that's what, where like my hat comes in. You have to have enough experience to be like, this is where we might save some money, but that's not really strategically worth it in the end. Right. And do we actually save money? Right. When you add it all up, right. Cause it's all, it's all in, at the, in the end coming from the same place. Totally makes sense. So, Mike, how do you specifically nurture partnership in this dynamic? I mean, do you have other advice you could offer the audience here? 
Yeah, I think we've touched on the big pieces here. A lot of these are having kind of repeat clients that you've known over years. Um, but I think you can still establish a, a solid working relationship, even with first time folks. I mean, from the law firm perspective, uh, we need to understand uh, that discovery world is heading towards many more direct client and tech partner relationships being the norm, right? The law firm is kind of the odd man out, the third party, the, the, the one that's coming into the existing relationship. Uh, getting to know who your client's preferred provider are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what the options are for tools that they can deploy and the ex and their expertise and like kind of especially for that case, but kind of their expertise across the industry more broadly is going to be really helpful. Um, talk to your clients, talk to your tech partners, go to the, uh, the industry events, um, you know, kind of vet folks that you don't have knowledge with. Build that. Uh, and then on, on cases, um, as you get started, and I, I think, Paige, we talked about this in the past, but build that sense of shared responsibility. And you had a, a great idea that I think kind of falls in this bucket to kind of the after action reports. I don't want to steal your thunder, but maybe you've got a few thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I come from a law firm background before coming to Lighthouse. And one thing I always appreciated taking part in is that, you know, retrospective look back, like how how did it go? What could we collectively as a team done, you know, do better? What could we do differently moving forward? How do we improve our process? And when you're jumping from provider to provider and different counsel all the time, it makes it more challenging to do that and to really improve. And I think it to, it to make it as robust as possible, you need all three voices in that process. You know, one of the things, as we close out, I did want to talk about, so, you know, we like to leave the audience with a bit of advice, right? So, um, it would be great to be great to be here hear about some of the benefits that each of you have experienced and 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 advice that you would talk to like our listeners about. You want to take it first, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, Divine. Yeah. Thank you. I, I realize yeah. I'm, I'm already being long winded here, so uh, I, I, I want to sound sad. Mike, there's only so much we can do about that. Really, this is sort of an occupational hazard. <laughs> Why use three words when you can That's use right. forty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially right. when you get paid by the hour, which That's we're right. not doing. Which we're not doing for you guys on this pod, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> In case you were not confused. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, look. I don't want to sound sappy. I, some of the, I've developed some honest to God lifelong friendships uh, and professional partnerships with clients and tech partners. That's my biggest personal benefit. I, professionally, honestly, getting enough knowledge, whether it's through a long term exposure and, and collaboration or, or really kind of digging down into the brass tacks early on uh, about the client and the tech partner to plan effectively and react quickly is super valuable. That again, often uh, comes uh, when clients have long-term tech partner and long-term law firm relationships, but you can at least set, uh, plant the seeds for it early on with, with a new client, new uh, uh, new tech partner. Um, and then, you know, just build on that trust, that knowledge, that hard-won experience with the data landscape, the intersection, all the weird stuff we do, information governance, e-discovery, data security, privacy, all that weirdness, and staying collectively abreast of how... Uh, the law is changing, regulations changing, sophistication changing, data sources are changing, and share that. Right, be be forthcoming. Do uh, uh, you know? Uh, like Justin and I had had just running calls to just catch up about no cases, uh, just just what was happening in the world, what was happening in in, in the space for a long time, and then you know. Uh, as outside of discovery council, if you've done your job of building that relationship, shared purpose, trust, and you've demonstrated your humanity and leadership by going to bat for your tech partners, keeping your client is apprised of the situation, then there's something uh, that when there's something big, they're going to thank you, right? They're going to they're going to think, well, this is a big challenge. Um, 
I, I think I, I, I want the, the A team. So I'm going to go to these guys. Love it. Justin, Mike, thanks for joining. You guys are just really impressive and great partners. It was lots of fun to have you here today. Thanks, Paige. It was great being here. Thanks, everybody. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us on Law & Candor. For more compelling stories like these, check out lawandcandor.com and follow us on LinkedIn. 